Hello, 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 hello. Welcome to the 34th edition of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles, and it's always a pleasure to feature wonderful, illuminating guests that have excelled in their particular sport. And this episode is no different. And before I introduce the gentleman that I'm speaking with, make sure to subscribe and or follow Where They At on Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher. So make sure to subscribe and or follow as well as rate the show as I appreciate all of your support. But for this episode, wow, uh, what a treat. And this gentleman has one of the most decorated careers in all of basketball. And one of the greatest players to come out of New York City, graduating from Boys High in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. He starred at Providence College later being inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame in 2006. Nine-time NBA All-Star as a player, and he coached the All-Star game four times. He led the Seattle Supersonics to their only NBA championship in 1979. He was part of the coaching staff for the legendary 1992 U.S. Olympic men's basketball team, a.k.a. the Dream Team, and won another gold medal leading the 1996 U.S. Olympic team. He is one of four individuals to be inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame as a player and coach. And last but not least, he is part of the NBA's 50th anniversary team as a player and is recognized as one of the top 10 coaches in NBA history. He was on that list as well in 1996. It is my pleasure and honor to present the one and only Mr. Lenny Wilkins on the 34th edition of Where They At. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm good. I'm glad I wasn't thinking about all that when I was doing it. <laughs> oh, no, sir. Let me tell you, your dossier speaks for itself. The accomplishments are just absolutely magnificent. And it's always been an honor to be in touch with you over the past few years via phone and everything like that. How are you and your family dealing with this COVID-19 pandemic? Well, we're doing fine. You know, we don't like staying in, but you do what you have to do. You try and be safe. Uh, you know, because you, you got to not only watch out uh, for yourself, but you have to watch out for other people as well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so we're, we're doing fine. You know, we, uh, I talk with my kids a lot. Uh, they, uh, you know, we, we see them, uh, they come by, the ones that live in town, come by to visit. Plus, they like to go swimming. Uh, my youngest daughter has two girls and they love the pool. So you can't keep them out of there. But uh, other than that, everybody's fine and we're doing well. Thank you. Yes, indeed, Coach Wilkins. There's nothing like family. And there is a family with the National Basketball Association with the players in the league and how they're showing a lot of activism and speaking out against police brutality and systemic racism. Uh, You came up in the 60s as a professional athlete, and now we're in the 2020 decade. And, And how proud are you of the players, of the modern athlete really speaking out and and getting involved in addressing social issues? And also how wonderful is it that they're looking to convince fans to register to vote in November? Well, the game has grown so, and, uh, and we're all happy, and a lot of guys set examples uh, for guys to follow and to come along. And, and of course, when, when I first came in the NBA, uh, you know, it was a much different league. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, people don't like to talk about it, at the, but at the time, um, there was only maybe uh, one or two minorities on a team. And uh, that's all changed since mm-hmm. then. You know, uh, I, I remember, um, you know, that, uh, some guys didn't like me because they thought I too much. But, uh, and I love it that the fact that players today, uh, like LeBron James, like Chris Paul, and, and, and they, uh, they speak their mind. Uh, you know, it, it's it's that what we're trying to make people understand, if we want to say about this country, we need to be able to speak our mind. And how do you speak your mind? Pushing to get the vote out. 
And I tell young people when I speak to them all the time that uh, they have to let people know what they think. You know, uh, you you got to speak your mind. If we want to have a say about things, then we have to go and vote. We can't not, not vote. We have to have a say about uh, the mayors, the governors, uh, the city council people. Uh, we have to have a say about all of that because those are the people that make the laws. They, mm -hmm. you know, and so if if we don't speak up, then a lot gets left. Yes, no, that that's 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 key. Talking here with the great Lenny Wilkins, Hall of Fame player and coach in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame on the 34th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabate Isles. So Coach Wilkins, you grew up in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. Um, and your dad, your dad, Leonard Sr. was black. Your mom, Henrietta, was Irish. And, and the boat, it's interesting, interracial, an interracial relationship. And, and you, now you grew up with your mom, you know, as part of five, five kids, you know, five kids total, you know, like that, that's amazing. Like talk about, uh, did you struggle with racial identity at all being mixed, you know, especially during the times of the forties and fifties? Well, uh, I didn't struggle with it. The, the thing is, is that the one thing we all had in common was that we were poor. My mother uh, always would try to instill in us that we was as good as anybody and yes. that we should never feel inferior to anyone, you know, uh, and that, uh, you know, so, so when you grow up in a household like that, uh, you know, I just felt that, hey, I can compete with anybody. And those are the things that were told to me when I was younger. And, uh, and my uh, uh, father's side of the family, they were great. They were wonderful to us. They treated us uh, like we were as good as anybody. Uh, mm -hmm. They were Baptists. And, and my side of the family, my mother's side was Catholic. So it was kind of interesting, but we got along great. Wow, no, that that's beautiful. Yes, indeed, and, and of course, you know, Brooklyn was so diverse racially and everything like yes. that. You know, and 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 talk about your athletic and social influences. I know there's a gentleman that Ebbets Field, Brook Ebbets Field, right there, Brooklyn. You know, like I know there's a gentleman while you were growing up that you really looked up to. But which other? Yeah, talk about him and others that you looked up to growing up. Well, the, the, the first guy was certainly was Jackie Robinson because, uh, you know, he broke the color line, so to speak. And, uh, and Jackie, uh, we would go to Ebbets Field to see him play because I could get in and sit in the bleacher seats for 50 cents. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Back then. Wow. Yeah. And, and Jackie was a guy that felt he was as good as anybody mentally or physically. Yes. And, and that was a great example for us young black kids is that to look up to a guy like that who was that strong mentally, uh, that he felt that every time he stepped on the field, he could compete with anyone. And so, and I remember as a youngster uh, taking groceries and delivering to his home in Bed-Stuy and mm -hmm. seeing him at the door just blew me away. Wow. blew me away because you know i had gone to ebbets field and i'd seen him and and now here i'm delivering groceries to his house wow. uh that was just magnificent but he was a guy that always made us feel that we were as good as anybody and uh, you know and i saw this guy achieve a lot because i was at a lot of those games at ebbets field mm -hmm. i saw him steal home plate you know, now I don't think a lot of people could say that, but that I did. Yes. And, uh, you know, and this guy, uh, you know, when he retired, he went to work for Chuck Full of Nuts and he was an executive. So he showed that he could do it on the field and off the field. He was a family man. And that was, uh, we all respected that. Uh, all the kids in my neighborhood believed in him. And, uh, and, you know, and, and, and then uh, I had a, a cousin who was a good athlete in, in baseball. And then I had a very close friend 
A guy named Tommy Davis. Yes, indeed. Dodger legend himself. Unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. He, let me tell you something. This guy was a great athlete. He was a close friend, still is a close friend. Mm -hmm. And he really enticed me to, to get more involved in basketball. And that's how I got involved. Wow, amazing, amazing indeed. And, and, and speak real quick about Jackie Robinson. Chadwick Boseman, the great actor, passed away who played Jackie Robinson. How, yes. what, what did you think of his performance and how he carried himself? Well, he, he was a great actor, to, to say the least. Uh, to see uh, his performance as Jackie Robinson, but also to see his performance, which I did as Black Panther. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I was blown away. Come on, let me, let me tell you something. That was, uh, you know, if, someone, if you haven't seen it, I encourage everybody to see Black Panther because it shows you, uh, and, and it shows a lot of stuff that I read because I used to read a lot. But let me tell you something. There were lots of uh, African-Americans who were great kings and queens and, and people mm -hmm. and that we uh, didn't know about. But mm -hmm. I saw some of it because I saw, uh, when I was a kid, there was a calendar that was published by Seagram's, which was a distillery. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a black calendar. And it listed black people who had uh, discovered or did accomplish great things uh, wow. like blood plasma and stuff like that, you know, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. was discovered by a black man. Uh, and yeah. so, so, you know, uh, seeing his performance was wonderful. We lost an icon like yes. we lost in John Lewis, who I had a chance yes. to meet and get wow. to know. Yes, and indeed. he was another icon. Uh, uh, when I was, uh, I went on a trip to Africa one year, and I also got to meet Mandela. And, oh. and so I've been very blessed. Uh, when, when I got to meet those people, and I asked Nelson Mandela, because I had been to Robbins Island, and I had seen the cell where he stayed in, you know, before he got wow, out. Wow, wow. And, and I said to him, you know, I said, how could you not be bitter? And he said, because I, I knew I needed to lead my people. I wanted to be there for them. And so that, that to me just blew me away. So, so I've been very blessed in those senses. Well, same as Jackie Robinson, how he knew he had to set a standard for many other people of color to follow in Major League Baseball. Yes, he did. I mean, he, he was there. I mean, you know, no matter what they tried to say or do, uh, he was not going to let them get to him mentally. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. That's for sure. And Coach Wilkins, Father Mannion, uh, you know, at, 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 at Holy Rosary, he was someone that you looked up to, and he said something very powerful. He talked about being accountable and accepting responsibility. You know, how, yeah. was, that, how was that the mantra for the rest of your life as a player and as a Hall of Fame coach? Well, you know, the thing was is that um, he would talk to me. And I, and I remember he used to say to me all the time was, uh, you know, when I'd get a little frustrated, a little upset, you know, I'd be very honest with you, a little pissed. He would say, <laughs> who promised you? Okay. Did someone promise you life was going to be easy? Did they promise you it was going to be a cakewalk? And early on, you know, I'd just look at him. You know, I, I would get upset and everything. But then I started to understand that, yeah, right. Who promised you? Uh, I mean, if you let them get to you, then you never can accomplish anything. Mm -hmm. And so from that point on, I started saying, okay, uh, I'm going to be, I want to be like Jackie. Because I remember reading about them throwing a black cat on the field when Jackie Robinson. Yeah. And... You know, and he didn't let it bother him. He didn't let it get to them, you know. Uh, and I said, that's what, I'm going to be just like him. I'm going to show them that I can be as good as them, if not better. And, and so I wanted to, that became my mentor, you know, was that show them. You know, <laughs> when, when I was in college, uh, they used to post the marks 
And, and I, listen, I wasn't going to be uh, the top of the class, but I wanted to be in that upper third, okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I wanted because they posted them. So as long as I was in the upper third, that's what I wanted to show them that, yeah, I can compete just like you. All I need is an opportunity. That's right. That's right. Wow. Here with the great Lenny Wilkins, basketball, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer as a player and coach, one of four individuals to ever accomplish that here on Where They At, the 34th edition. My name is Nabate Al. So, Coach Wilkins, you went to Boys High, only played half a year of basketball. Please reflect on how difficult it was to get looks from different colleges, but how Providence College gave you an opportunity. Well, uh, when I, uh, you know, I went out for the boys high team when I was a freshman and uh, there was uh, 15 guys on a team and I made the team, but I was number 15. I didn't get to play much. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I had a little job after school to help out with the family. So I dropped off the team mm -hmm. and, but I kept going to the playgrounds to, cause I got hooked on the game. And there was a guy in my neighborhood who went to Syracuse University by the name of Vinnie Cohen. Okay. And he was a, and he was a black guy, by the mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. the, the name might throw people, but uh, <laughs> Vinnie was an All-American at Syracuse University. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to the playgrounds and one Saturday I got a chance to play against him. Wow. Uh, and, and, you know, and the crowds used to watch and because they would agitate, they'd stand outside the fence, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I was playing against Vinny. Yeah. And I stole, stole the ball off of him. I blocked his shot, you know, and, uh, and mm -hmm. I scored on him. The next thing you know, he ran me into a pole. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> right. He, he, <laughs> and he got my attention, but uh, afterward, he came over to me and encouraged me and told me, don't you ever quit, you know? And mm -hmm. uh, so mm -hmm. that was someone that I looked up to too, because this guy was an all American. He graduated from Syracuse university, mm -hmm. but he didn't go to play pro ball. He became a big time lawyer in Washington, DC. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because it wasn't that many opportunities to, to get on professional teams when he was in college. Right, right. But, but he was a great example. And so I, so I did go out uh, after playing against him. I went out for the boys high team my senior year. Mm -hmm. And I made the starting team. Wow. And, and uh, Providence College... Uh, Father Mannion wrote to them and told them about me because they had not really seen me play. So they invited me to come out to Chaminade uh, High School mm -hmm. out on Long Island mm -hmm. to, uh, for a workout. So I went out there because back then they used to do that kind of thing. And so I went out and it seemed like there had to be about 200 kids out there. But and how they could determine whether I could play or not, I, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and everybody was shooting the ball and throwing it up, you know. So uh, afterward, uh, I talked with the coach and he said that, uh, you know, I'd hear from them and whatnot. And, and I didn't think I had played that well. But... Mm -hmm. Uh, anyway, I was still eligible for the high school tournament when the season was over. Okay. And I played, uh, uh, so I went out to the Flushing YMCA and I played with some guys. Uh, we, we played in the tournament, the Flushing Y tournament. Okay. In that tournament, I, uh, we won the tournament and I got the most valuable player. And Joe Mullaney, who was the coach of Providence, his dad saw me play. Mm -hmm. And so he wrote to, he called Joe and said, this can't be the same kid that wants to go to Providence. And uh, after that, I got a scholarship and, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. said that I was accepted and everything. I wasn't worried about my marks. Uh, it was just, you know, whether I could get in or not. 
-hmm. But uh, I got a scholarship, and we had a hell of a freshman team. Our freshman team was 23-0, and and, Mm. you know, you had to play freshman ball then. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so after my freshman year, I was able to play on the varsity, and from there, things took off. Wow. Wow. Absolutely. And then, and then you and John Egan, e- John Egan, a yes. fellow, fellow, uh, fellow NBA player himself, you know, led that team. Right. To- John and I, uh, John was a year behind me. We became great friends. Mm-hmm. And uh, in fact, I used to have a, uh, a dinner auction out here every year. I raised funds for the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Okay. And, and I would invite John and John would come. You know, we'd yeah. pay his way out here, and he would come to our dinner every year. Through, I remember your Lenny Wilkins Foundation. Here with the great Lenny Wilkins on, on 34th episode of Where They At. My name is DeBatel. So, Coach Wilkins, you were drafted in 1960, and that draft – Top the draft, there are ten hall, four Hall of Famers in the top ten. I mean, there's Tommy Sass Sanders, fellow NYC legend, you know, that, that was yes. drafted two yes. picks yes. after you. And, and then the first two picks, uh-huh. Oscar Robinson, Jerry West. I mean, you know, that, it's like those two really set the standard. Um, but I wanted to ask you, the 60s, with basketball in the 60s, that's when it, the game revolutionized with better, more athleticism, extreme skill set. And you had, I mean, you had, it was beautiful. You had yourself, you had Oscar, you had uh, Wilt, you had Jerry West, you had uh, Elgin Baylor, you had Bill Russell, you know, like, I mean, it was just just a plethora of great players. Um, talk about how the game really evolved in the 60s and, and, and which one of those players would translate today that could come on, a, get, go right on the time machine and play in 2020 NBA. <laughs> Jerry, Oscar, Bill Russell, Elvin Bell, they, they all would have played today. I mean, because they were that good. Yes. Uh, when uh, Jerry, uh, in the East West College All-Star game, Jerry West and I played on the East team, and we played against Oscar, Daryl Imhoff, and them on the West. Ooh. And we beat them, and Jerry and I got the co-MVP award. Oh. So we, we shared the MVP award, but our careers kept crossing, you know, because uh, the NBA was really starting to grow then. Mm-hmm. And, and guys like uh, Bill Russell were uh, very encouraging to, to Jerry, to uh, Oscar, myself, you know, mm-hmm. uh, when we came in, like I said, at that time, the league, um, you know, there weren't that many of us in the NBA at the time. Yeah. But uh, I remember uh, they, Bob Cousy uh, did a, uh, a rating in uh, Dell Magazine. It was mm-hmm. called Cousy Rates the Pros, my rookie year. Okay. And he made a comment. Yeah, he made a comment about, uh, he said that Oscar, look out, Oscar, could be a royal letdown, said that uh, Jerry might be the best, said that I couldn't shoot, you know. And uh, so every time I played against him, I wanted to really play hard. That's right. And uh, I, I was motivated. I was motivated. But, mm-hmm. uh, but, but, you know, there were guys like Hal Greer, who was a great player, you know. Yes. Uh, we, Chef- we, we had uh, a lot of guys, you know, and, mm-hmm. uh, and the league started to grow. Uh, and it went from nine teams to 12 teams. Mm-hmm. And then it kept increasing until it eventually got to three. But uh, it was, um, you, you know, back then, uh, living in St. Louis wasn't the easiest of places either because oh. – um, you couldn't eat in the restaurants downtown my uh, rookie year. Yeah, segregation. It changed. Segregation. Yeah. Yes. It, it, it all changed. And in some neighborhoods, they didn't want you to live in as well. But, uh, but you know, we, we, were, uh, we didn't have the power, so to speak, that the players have today. But some of us speak out. We were going to speak up. 
and let it be known that we weren't uh, going to put up with that no matter what anybody said. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No question about that. And, and for you to say that, that even rings more coming from you. And, and those St. Louis Hawks teams, I mean, Bob Pettit, underrated player to me, one of the top 15 in the game's history to me. Um, and yeah. then Cliff Hagen and Clyde Lovellette and Zelmo Beattie, like all of the talent and just running into the Celtics. How rough was it to just you know, I run into Celtics and, and the Lakers during the, those 60s, like with all the talent you guys had. Well, <clears throat> I love playing against them because they were the best. You know, <laughs> I love playing against – I mean, my, my rookie year, we played the Celtics for the championship. We didn't beat them, but we competed against them, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and we played against the Lakers and uh, the same. We competed against them. I, I love competing against the best. And Elgin Baylor became a close friend. In fact, he would come to my dinner, you know, uh, that we would, uh, the, the dinner we would have to raise funds for the Odessa Brown Children's Clinic. Mm-hmm. And Elgin would come every year as well. So, so I, you know, went, to compete against the best was always fun for me, something I look forward to. And, uh, and, and, and plus those guys encouraged me because they knew how difficult it was for me to be on the Hawks, uh, mm-hmm. at that time. Uh, I, I remember we bought a house in this one neighborhood and, uh, for sale signs went up everywhere. And my wife wow. and I, and we had a little girl who was just starting to walk and they had carports there. Mm-hmm. Didn't have garage, they had car parts, and we lived in a subdivision. And uh, the people who lived next door, uh, this guy, he pulled in his carport and he would back out of his car because he didn't want to look at me. And uh, when I saw that, I couldn't believe it, you know? But every day, this is in the off season, I would stand out there around five o'clock because I wanted him to back out of his mm. car. You know, and and we used to make him do that until eventually, uh, a year later, we moved. My wife and I moved out of there. You know, wow. <laughs> but 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 we we lived there along with a, a, another friend of mine, a guy named Paul Smith, mm-hmm. Reverend Paul Smith, uh, who marched with Dr. King and and knew them and uh, was a close friend of mine and. Uh, and, and Paul is still a close friend to this day. He's retired now. He was yeah. the Presbyterian minister. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's but, a... uh, yeah, St. Louis was different then, let me tell you. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. You know, not just South, but like Midwest, too. Right. Ooh, yeah. That's right. And it's an interesting state, Missouri. You know, definitely a swing state, to say the least, for sure. <laughs> <You know? laughs> wow. So, and Coach Wilkins now, like, um, you were a player coach for Seattle, for the Seattle yeah. Supersonics. How was yeah. that to balance out playing and coaching? Because no one does it now. So there's a reason no. why no one does it. <laughs> Talk about how that balance was for you. Well, you can't do it now, but it, it was an opportunity. You know, there, there were things that were happening. Um, my last year with the St. Louis Hawks was in uh, 69. Mm-hmm. I got traded because uh, me and the coach didn't get along. Mm. You know, uh, I mean, he he was just a tough guy and he didn't, uh, you know, I, I was trying to help the team, but he didn't like because he felt I had too much to say. And, mm-hmm. um, and I wind up uh, getting traded uh, to, uh, to the Sonics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and the reason, one of the reasons was also uh, because they didn't want to pay me. Uh, and, and I was not going to accept the contract that they were offering. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, uh, they sold the franchise, was sold to Atlanta. And they invited the team to Atlanta for a lunch. And they didn't invite me. And I was the captain of the team. And they didn't invite me. So, uh, so I knew that they were going to try and trade me. 
and and they did. They traded me to the Sonics, um, which, as it turned out, was a blessing in the skies because uh, I was traded. And yes, uh, they traded me because uh, to Seattle because it was an expansion franchise, and they uh, didn't want me to come back and hurt them, so they wouldn't trade me to like Boston wanted to try and get me and they wouldn't trade me to Ooh, Boston. Wow. You were yeah. with Bill, with Bill Russell's last right. season, right? Yes. His last, oh, wow. Yes. Yep. And I Hondo and Hondo. Yep. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so I got, I got traded to Seattle and when I got there, uh, they were an expansion franchise and, and, uh, but, uh, I got along with the players just fine but i let them know that i was coming to play every night and i wanted them to come play every night and they respected that and mm -hmm. uh after the first year they fired the coach and they asked they wanted me to be a player coach mm. and and i told the general manager i told him he was crazy but he said no you do it anyway you, you know, and we believe that you can do it. So when I told my wife that I was going to be the player coach, she couldn't believe it either. She thought I was crazy. But uh, so I became a player coach. And, uh, and you know, I knew the game. I knew how to run practices. Uh, I, I knew how to utilize my personnel. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so it just got better and better and better but it was a difficult job in the long run because mm -hmm. the thing that i started to realize was that um, i was having to work a lot with young players because they were coming out earlier and earlier yeah and spencer haywood spencer haywood yes, you know spencer, mm -hmm. wow. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. we got spencer. along great yeah we, i know yeah oh yeah great. yeah he play, oh, played great player but the spencer haywood rule yeah. facilitated that yep yep yes because mm -hmm. i had to spend more time showing explaining teaching my players how to defend, how to help one another out, how to utilize different things, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's when I realized after doing it for two, three years, I decided uh, I was going to retire and just become a full-time coach. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, so that, that what got me to do it is, uh, is spend more time being a full-time coach and you can, then put the time in necessary to be successful. Wow, absolutely. And, and Coach, is is very interesting on being successful. You coached Portland right after you retired from playing. You coached the Portland Trailblazers for a couple of years, and then you came back to Seattle. And then what a magical run with that Seattle team. NBA Finals appearance your first year with, this, with the Sonics. Winning the championship your second year. Losing in the conference finals next year. I mean, just a great run overall. And how underrated was the backcourt that you had, especially you being a Hall of Fame guard of the backcourt of Dennis Johnson, Gus Williams, and, and, uh, and downtown Freddie Brown. I mean, just talk about like how great those plays were and why they don't get recognized more. I've always said it, you know, and uh, it was funny, uh, um, not funny, but the, the thing was is that uh, I got, uh, when I became full-time coach, I signed Gus Williams because the mm -hmm. Golden State wouldn't sign him. They didn't want to pay him. And I'm mm -hmm. saying, you got to be kidding me. This guy has a chance to be an all-time great Absolutely. player. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Mount yeah. Vernon, Mount Vernon too. That's, that's <laughs> yes. So I, uh, I, I got him, I signed him to a contract and uh, the owner of uh, the Sonic said, if you believe that, go ahead and do it. So I said, I believe it. And I signed Gus. And then um, when we had Dennis and uh, they, uh, Dennis was coming off the bench. And so when I took over the team, uh, the team got off to a, tough spot they were five and 17 mm -hmm. and uh, the owner was upset so he wanted to fire the coach and he wanted me to be the full-time coach mm -hmm. so i said okay i would you know but i'm gonna run it my way 
And yeah. so when I took over, the team was five and 17. I talked to the players and I told them, I said, listen, I want to make a few changes, but I know that we can be better. I know we can win and I want you to buy in. I want you to, you know, uh, try it, see if it mm -hmm. works. Mm -hmm. And they were all willing to buy in. And I said that uh, what I'm going to do is, because uh, they were starting Fred and, uh, and uh, Slick Watts. Slick Watts, And yeah. I said, um, yeah. And, 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 and a good player, good player. Mm -hmm. And I said that what I want to do to make us better is I'm going to start Dennis and Gus. And I want to bring Fred off the bench and Slick off the bench. And I said, we can be good. And Paul Silas, if you remember, uh, they were starting him too. And I decided to bring Paul off the bench. Mm -hmm. and, and I had played with Paul, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I said, no, we're going to bring you off the bench too. We're going to start Jack Sigma, Sigma, who was a rookie. Rookie, yes, you know? indeed. And, mm -hmm. and we're going to start Jack Sigma and uh, Marvin Webster and, uh, and John Johnson, who I had gotten from Portland. And that yeah. became my starting lineup. And we won 10 straight. And everybody was excited. And, and we went on from there. But we had, uh, it was a great team. We didn't win that year. We got to the finals. But we won it the next year. That's right. The and next year, we meet the same team in the finals. That's right. The Bullets. And we Washington Bullets. Yep. Right. Avenged them. <laughs> Avenged yeah, we beat them four games to one. <laughs> so, uh, I, and I, I, I was excited. I was happy. I believed we could do it. And, uh, and, and it was just, the, the city went crazy. I mean, it'd be, uh, the, the Sonics were, like I said, the most underrated championship team ever. I absolutely agree. I mean, the balance of that team is just amazing. I think the reason why, and what's weird is that the 70s, you had nine different NBA champions in yes. the 70s, which is really deep. The only repeat champ was uh, Boston, I believe, 74 and 76. Right. Were the only repeat champs. And the Knicks, they won, but that was in the late six, really 69 to 70, you know. But, but, um, but yes, deep. It was just, I guess, I guess the league was just so balanced at that time. And then, of course, Oh, it was really balanced. There yeah. was a lot of great talent in the league at that time. Yes. Yes. Wow. Mm. And that's my favorite era ever, by the way. Late 70s, early 80s NBA. That's my favorite era. The skill set didn't rely on three-point shooting. In. Everyone could create, create the dribble, get their own shot, mid-range game, everything. That was, was everything. Yeah. <laughs> yes, and, 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 you know, and we had a player in Fred Brown who could make the three-point shot. Mm -hmm. But, Down you know, he, he, yeah, but he had, he had an in-between shot as well. So he used both. <laughs> yes, no question. While here with the great Lenny Wilkins, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer as a player and coach here on the 34th episode of Where They At. My name is Nabatel. So, Coach Wilkins, your career as a coach was just as prolific as, a play, you know, as it was as a player. You went on to the Cleveland Cavaliers in the mid-'80s, turned that franchise around, and more talent. Mark Price, Brad Doherty, Larry Nance, who was in his prime when, when he was there, you know, uh, uh, yes. you know those guys great uh, Ron Harper who was young right. you developed Ron Harper to Brad Doherty and and Mark Price talk about how you were able to develop players did did it help being a Hall of Fame player yourself to be able to get players to buy in quickly and improve yeah, I, I think it helped being a player but also uh, knowing the game mm -hmm. you know I, uh, I I only played a half a year high school ball but I played for one of the greatest high school coaches ever his name was Mickey Fisher uh, he really knew basketball mm -hmm. and he used to make me work one-on-one -on, -one on my own on uh, inside pivot moves and different things. And he used to say to me all the time is that, yeah, you, you have great vision. You see the floor better than anybody I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. And, and I, and, and uh, so uh, I made sure that I took advantage of that. And so, yes, when I had a chance to, to work with those guys, uh, you know, uh, the only reason I left Cleveland the year I did, I got upset at uh, 
the general manager, who we became friends again later on, mm-hmm. Wayne Embry. Yes. Uh, <laughs> because, because they traded Ron Harper, and I was against that. Yeah, to the Clippers, uh, yeah. Yes, I was against that. That Ron, if, if, if not, we would have beaten Chicago that following year. Yeah. No question in my mind. And, but when they traded Ron, I got so upset. I said, fine, you don't want me. I'm out of here. And, and I, I know it shocked everybody that I left. Mm-hmm. But uh, even though we had won 53 games uh, my last year there, I said, I'm leaving because uh, that was a bad, bad trade. And, you know, it's going to hurt us. And it did because we didn't win after that. Wow. And, and, didn't and, win the championship, but I left. Wow. Well, mm. Mr. Embry, I had the honor to interview Mr. Embry during All-Star Weekend and everything. And he, and yeah. he talked about, uh, he talked about, yeah, Milwaukee, like he made a mistake trading Kareem Abdul-Jabbar as well for the place yeah. he got back. Yeah. So he, he owns up to, you know, but. Yeah, you know, he does. <laughs> he did. He did. We became, like I said, you know, I was really upset with him for a while, but finally, few years passed and I was in uh, Vegas uh, working with the Olympic team Mm -hmm. and uh, he uh, wanted to have breakfast and he apologized for the the Ron Harper trade you Uh. know and well he said he was under a lot of pressure and he probably was and 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 to me you move on you Mm -hmm. move on and that's what I did I moved on now, what'd you think of the last dance? Because the last dance brought up that Jordan shot, 1989. It was the end of the f- game five of the first round. Um, and, and it brought up the whole thing about Elo and, and Ron Harper. Like, you know, like what, what do you look back it, and you're like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't change anything if you look back. by No, having- not, not at all. And I've let them know that. Let me, let me tell you something. Elo was the better defensive player at the time. Mm-hmm. and he had worked really hard. In fact, uh, it was a great shot that Michael made mm-hmm. because he had, to, he had to double pump to get it out of the way yeah. from Elo, and, mm-hmm. and, and he made the shot. So, no, 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 Elo, and, and Ron knows it. <laughs> you know, if Ron is honest, he knows that we had the best player on him. Okay, so I don't want to hear that uh, because I, I've been too honest with Ron and Mark and Craig and all of those guys, uh, Larry Nance, you know, uh, mm-hmm. those were my guys because I was the one that worked with them and got them to be as good as they are. Wow, and Elo ended up making the shot to go up by one before that, that's too. exactly right. People forget that. <laughs> they forget the play before. We set the play up. And we executed the play so well that it had time on the clock. Yes. <laughs> well, and Coach Wilkins, you went on to Atlanta afterwards and, and, and had success there with Dikembe Mutombo, Mookie Blaylock, uh, Kevin Willis, you know, those guys yes. and, and everything. Well, yes. Kevin Willis, like, like Chris Weber said, that grown man strength, you know, Kevin Willis had, you know. <laughs> yes, yes, he did. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> no doubt. But yeah. But Toronto, how was it to be part of a renaissance, uh, basketball ascension in Toronto with Vinsanity and, 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 and how Toronto was so successful and now basketball is so prevalent in Canada? Well, we made the fans. We got them in, hooked on basketball because we, we became good. We, you know, we grew and they grew in learning the game. And, uh, and, and like I said, and we got to the playoffs. We got them to the playoffs, and we got in there. And, you know, so uh, I was happy to have been a part of that. Uh, it, it was, uh, you know, the, we, we, we had uh, good players, and they were learning the game, and Vince was growing in the game himself. Yes. Uh, he was such a talented young man, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. No, absolutely. In Toronto. Yeah, definitely. That one of the legendary series, you know, against Philly, you know, unfortunately that, yes. that didn't end the way you wanted it to end. So uh, memorable for sure. Here with the great Lenny Wilkins, Basketball Hall of Famer, both as a player and coach on Where They At, the 34th edition of Where They At. Coach Wilkins, um, Seattle, to bring basketball back to Seattle, like Seattle has the hockey team called the cracking you know like so they had their hockey team being developed in 2021 22 when is seattle basketball coming back you know because the hockey team is there we need we need the seattle uh, basketball team to be back well the thing was to get the building done mm -hmm. and now that it's almost finished uh once it's finished and it can it can, can accommodate hockey it will be able to accommodate basketball as well because basketball and hockey can coexist. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is really a great basketball town. Mm -hmm. And I would say that uh, once the building is finished, I really believe that we will have an opportunity to get basketball. And I certainly want to be a part of helping us get basketball. Let me tell you something. This is a great basketball town. I don't care what anybody says. This is a great, great basketball town. And if we finish the building, then sometime soon after, basketball should be uh, able to come here. And, yes. and I'm sure there are lots of people who would like to be a part of basketball. Mm -hmm. And the Supersonics, the name will be back. That's for sure. You know, <laughs> well, they have the rights to the name to use it if they want. So, you know, it certainly has a legacy and, wow. uh, and it's a great legacy. Absolutely. And, and, and I meant to ask you, coach, you were part of the dream team. You were part of the, like, I, I was, I was honored to be at the induction ceremony of the 92 dream team that, you know, when the 92 dream team yeah. and the 1960 team was uh, inducted, you know, um, at the Mason basketball hall of fame. And now the Isaiah Thomas controversy, you've heard, you know, throughout how no one wanted him on the team and everything. Do you think that that was a mistake for Isaiah not to be on the team? Well, you know, two, a couple of things. First of all, uh, I never heard anybody talking about that they didn't want him on the team. Mm -hmm. I never heard that, okay? Mm -hmm. and, and the thing was is that there were a lot of great players who would love to be on the Olympic team. Mm -hmm. And we didn't, the coaches didn't select the team. The team, there was an Olympic committee that selected the team. Mm -hmm. So, so, you know, uh, Chuck Daly, uh, was the head coach. That's right, I was his assistant mm -hmm. and it never came up. They never brought it up. And, and so we never discussed it, but I know a lot of people say that Michael wanted to keep him off. Hey, Michael was a great player. Michael wasn't petty like that. I don't believe. Mm -hmm. I never heard him say anything about it, uh, that he didn't want him on it or anything like that. And uh, so uh, I, I just don't, I don't buy into it. Uh, I think that, like I said, there's a lot of guys who could have been on the dream team, but it's only 12 spots. Yeah, that's true. Because, I mean, Isaiah was the one that beat Mike, Magic, and Larry. You know, he was the only one. <laughs> right. Exactly. 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 Coach Wilkins, I know, I know you have to get going. A couple more questions I wanted to ask mm. you. LeBron James, another Cleveland Cavaliers legend, because you're the legendary, you're the best coach in Cleveland Cavaliers history, and, and, and mm. LeBron James, the best player in Cavs history. Where do you rate him yeah. in the pantheon of greats? Would he be in a Mount Rushmore if it was, if you thought like how, and in year 17, how amazing. The fact he's still the best player in the league at year 17. He has it mentally. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, he's very fortunate. He hasn't had any huge injuries or anything in his career, but uh, LeBron is a great, great player. He enjoys making his teammates better, and, and that's why he's been so successful. 
But I met, uh, I met LeBron uh, when he was in high school. A nun introduced me to him. And, and I wrote him a letter letting him know what he was going to expect when he got to the pros and to be ready. And wow. whenever I see him, we go out of our way to say hello to each other because I think he's a great, great talent. I think he's been a credit to the game, you know, he and guys like Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think LeBron's right up there. And if you talk about a Mount Rushmore, he's got to be in there, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if he wins the finals and wins a third championship and wins finals MVP – and you know, after and then wins his fourth title. Do you think the the talk comparing him with Mike would be warranted? No question about it. Come on, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, they're both great, great players. You know, and there's no question about it. Yes, uh, it will be. And uh, and and in fact, people should be happy to put him in the same class. You know more oh, than yes. anybody. <laughs> you coached against Mike. Yeah, and coach but, against Mike. But, but, but played against Wilt, Oscar, and Jerry. I mean, you've, you've lived it all, Coach. You know, definitely, for sure. I'm going to do a quick segment called Fast Break in which I ask, ask quick random questions. And, uh, yeah, give me, like, a quick answer. You know, Fast Break. And, and, and if you're a baseball player, it'll be hit and run. If you're a football player, it'll be no huddle. <laughs> so always, you know, tailor it to the sport that you are selling, you know? Sure. <laughs> So All right. Go. Now, which current player reminds you of you? Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. Yes, indeed. Because he's a true consummate point guard for sure. Most underrated player of your generation as a player. The player that, that no one talks about anymore like they should. Ah. Uh... Well, I, I would say Elgin Baylor. I mean, Elgin was, was an incredible player. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, him, I, and, but I, I think he's not the only one. I, I think probably uh, Hal Greer. Mm-hmm. Yes, leading scorer in 76's history. Still, yes. to this day. Yes, indeed. And, and, and to me, the 66-67 Sixers team is the best ever to me. I think that's the best oh, team ever. Wonderful team. Wonderful team. <laughs> yeah, yes. And now, most underrated coach that you coached against, that coach that doesn't get that recognition that you had to play a major game of chess with all the time. Well, uh, I'm happy to see Mike Malone getting credit now. I knew his dad, and I knew Mike a little bit, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but uh, I'm glad to see that he's getting credit. Uh, uh, certainly, uh, we, we have some wonderful young coaches in the league. And, uh, well, I, I, I don't think Paul Salas gets the credit he should get. You know, I think he was a good coach, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right now, I just can't think. I know. There's so many people, so many great yes. you against. Yes, indeed. And Paul Salas, LeBron's first mm-hmm. coach. People forget about that. You know, first NBA coach. Right. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Now, the front office executive or owner you had the greatest synergy with? Well, it, it had to be Wayne Embry, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, because, you know, when I first went there, uh, I remember uh, when um, – uh, we met with uh, the owner of the, the Cleveland Cavaliers at the time, and um, was it Gordon Gunn? Gordon and, Gunn. And they, Gordon, Gordon Gunn. Gordon Gunn. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And they and they talked about uh, uh, interviewing. Uh, they said they wanted to interview me, you know. And I said no, no. I said I'm the one who interviews. I said I interviewed the the player. Mm-hmm. Okay, I do the interviewing, and and he laughed and said, "Fine, I want him. I want to hire him." <laughs> you know, so yes, because you, because he, he, because uh, it was all about you being yourself. That's what Wayne Embry respected, you know. And yes, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, the, uh, real quick, couple more questions in in the in a um, fast break segment. The musician 
or music, you know, or songs that you admired, you know, while you were playing during your playing days? Because, you know, athletes and entertainers always have that bond. So who, who are the entertainers, who are the music artists uh, and, and, and people you enjoy listening to while you were playing? My favorite will always be to this day Marvin Gaye. Yeah. No one sang the national anthem the way Marvin Gaye sang it. And I'm telling you, people should go back and hear it because when he sang it, mm-hmm. I mean, it was like the words were jumping up off the pages, you know, but, uh, but he was my guy. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And that was so unfortunate. It was the day before he passed that he yeah. was killed, unfortunately, tragically killed. Wow. Right. Um, now, the film you watch every day, the film you never get tired of watching. <laughs> Well, one of the ones I used to watch all the time was uh, a Western, okay? It uh-huh. was Shane. Shane, yeah. Okay. Shane. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Yeah, I, I used to watch that all the time, you know. But, um, but that, that, was, uh, that was one of my favorite Westerns at the time. Wow, mm-hmm. outstanding. Yeah, so you were a fan of the Spaghetti Westerns too, right? Clint Eastwood well, and oh. Sergio Leone, right? <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And last question in the fast break segment. The one person dead or alive that you never met that you would want to sit down and break bread with? Winston Churchill. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, wow. I read I read all his books. So, I mean, that would be someone I would want to sit down and love to talk to. Well, a true leader for you know, sure. Because, uh, oh, yes. And they really needed leadership and mm-hmm. he provided it for england that's right he did absolutely wow and and coach wilkins uh, uh, i want to say i i'm glad to finally have you on where they at i felt i needed to have you on native new yorker brooklyn new york i mean you've accomplished everything in basketball as a player as a coach as a humanitarian as a leader i mean everything and and coach wilkins i appreciate you for being on where they at the 34th edition well i enjoyed it as well thank you so much thank you all for listening to the 34th edition of where they at with the great lenny wilkins naismith basketball hall of famer as a player and coach listed in the top 50 of players in nba history the top 50 50th anniversary team in 1997 also mentioned as one of the top 10 coaches in nba history top 10 coaching lists in 1997 as well that was the 50th anniversary of the nba such an honor to have him on native new yorker uh and and someone that has accomplished everything in the sport of basketball and and such a class act as well and it was such an honor for me to have him on where they at so if you want to listen to more episodes like this one make sure to subscribe and or follow as well as rate on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. Just make sure, you know, to check out um, where they at because, I mean, you never know who comes on and you never know the, the knowledge and wisdom that they drop on this show. And also, once again, too, these are all-time greats in their particular sports. And so it's, it's just such an honor to talk history and talk about their views on current events and what's going on in their sport also Catropolis Radio Network spelled C-A-S-T-R-O-P-O-L-I-S Catropolis Radio Network Catropolis.net they air my show 8pm every Monday night and also they stream all of the episodes from where they're at as well on the website so go to Catropolis.net too as well so if you like the music that you hear you could go on my website N-A-B-A-T-E-I-S-L-E-S dot com that's NabateIsles.com to hear tracks from my album eclectic excursions and you could be able to they'll have links to go on to apple music to go on to spotify to title to amazon music uh to google play you could be able to to download tracks from eclectic excursions as well so thank you all for listening to where they add i'm the bate isles and remember be safe be blessed stay woke Black Lives Matter, and make sure that you vote on Election Day, which is sooner than later. So make sure you vote 
for all, all seats, not just the presidential seat, not just the House of Representatives, not just the Senate, but also your local government officials as well, city council, state senate, local police chiefs. Make sure you vote for every position. It's really vital for the future of this country. I'm the Batals. Talk to y'all soon. Take care. God bless. Bye-bye.